Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? This is for your own good. You left your bed and that's for a while. Big mistake. Big. Huge. Baby, baby, are you seeing this, boss? Happy to disappoint you. Are you not entertained? Welcome to Captive Audience, the show where we force-feed the movies we love to the people we love. I'm your guest host, Peter Gallagher, and I couldn't be more excited to be joining my good friends Edwin Janes and Sean Roney. Each week, we try to replicate the experience of showing a loved one a movie you cherish for the first time, and to share that experience with you, our audience. Edwin, somehow, in all our years as friends and one-time roommates, had never seen one of my favorite films. So today, we, the royal we, the editorial we, will be discussing the 1998 stoner comedy slash noir slash western cult classic The Big Lebowski. The Coen brothers were coming off the critical and commercial 1996 hit Fargo, which would be nominated for seven Academy Awards and catapult the Coens into the indie filmmaking stratosphere. Upon release, The Big Lebowski received mixed reviews. It puzzled critics. Since then, Lebowski has become one of the Coen brothers' most beloved films. It's been critically reevaluated, lauded, and even spawned its own religion, Dudism. As you'll hear, I love this movie because in so many ways, it can be what you make of it. Want to throw it on in the background of a party and quote it around your friends? Perfect. Want to catch it on TV in chunks, complete with the amazing cable dubbing of the Coen brothers? No problem. But if you want to dig deeper into what the movie has to say about the 90s, about religion, about masculinity, and about drawing a line in the sand, then let's get going. Because way out west, there is this fella I want to tell you about. A fella by the name of Jeff Lebowski. From the Academy Award-winning writer-director duo, The Coen Brothers. What is this? Obviously, you're not a golfer. Jeff Bridges stars as the dude. Cocktail? Careful, man! There's a beverage here! Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. In the cult classic, The Big Lebowski, John Goodman as Walter. Uzi. Uzi! You didn't think I was rolling out of here naked, did you? Walter! Walter! Julianne Moore as Maude. Was that yoga? It increases the chances of conception. Increases. See Buscemi as Donnie. They posted the next round for the tournament. What do we play? And John Turturro as... Jesus. You said it, man. Woo! The Big Lebowski. Hello, Sean. Hello, Edwin. Good to see you both. Hello, Hello Peter. Welcome. I am Hello. so excited to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies uh, with both of you. <laughs> 
Edwin, I have to start with you because uh, as, as a quick context, uh, Edwin, you and I have known each other for going on <laughs> 20 God, years, 20 years. Uh, I don't I don't know if I've talked about movies and TV shows at as great a length and music with anyone in my life as much as you, maybe my dad. <laughs> Uh, and somehow this has never been brought up in conversation that you haven't seen this movie. So please, Sean, we'll get to you, but Edwin first, <laughs> what did you think? Uh, I really liked it. It's a Coen brothers movie. So, uh, I knew I was probably going to enjoy it. Um, in many ways it was not what I thought it was going to be. Um, mm. uh, which I will dig into that with you guys in, in a second here, but yeah, I guess, um, it's so funny because the conceit of this podcast is kind of like the movies that you haven't seen that somehow you've never watched. And um, this is like the, one of the biggest ones for me. And I think of, of many of our friends, you were probably like this movie and you, Peter, I think are the ones that come to mind the most where like, I just yeah. kind of usually fake my way through conversations about this movie um, <laughs> for, for as long as I can remember. Um, Let's take a pause there. Have you, have you lied to me in the past about having seen this movie? I don't think Can we have I, a brutal well, honesty moment. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I I don't think I've right. ever said to you I have seen the Big Lebowski, <laughs> but I have in times when people have been quoting the Big Lebowski, just conveniently mm. om- omitted the fact that I haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to need some time to process that part, uh, but <laughs> I appreciate your honesty and 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 letting me know. Finally um, coming clean. Yeah. Yeah. Finally coming clean. Okay, Sean, can you ballpark? What what viewing for you would this have been? Oh, this might be like six or seven for me. Um, okay. And um, I mean, I, I absolutely love The Big Lebowski. I love the Coen brothers. Um, I think I did see The Big Lebowski kind of late, like, you know, into college. And uh, our friend Jordan and I took a philosophy of film class where we studied this. And you did something with college in this on this movie too i did yeah that that and you know between occupying various administration buildings breaking into <laughs> rotc um yeah i also wrote a paper on the big lebowski bowling, bowling. yeah <laughs> uh when we when we first came up with the idea for this captive audience podcast it was very quickly mentioned like oh have we all seen the big lebowski and when edwin admitted that he had not it really was a moment of like what? <laughs> How yeah. have you not seen this? You know, it's funny. One of our, our favorite podcasts, I think, us and then our, our other friend and co-host, Alex, we all love this podcast, All Fantasy Everything. And one thing that I've noticed uh, Ian Carmel doing as the host of that show is being like, I'm at a point in my life now where I don't want to pretend that I've seen movies that I haven't mm. anymore. <laughs> and um, yep. it's I think it's kind of healthy to just kind of admit it. And actually, the impetus now is to watch it. So it gives me a reason to watch it um, and kind of go back and, and kind of um, fill in these these blank spots or these gaps in my uh, movie watching history. You know, I'm sure too. I'll add too that like when I did probably watch this movie in college. Finally, you, Peter, you were probably there, being like, I can't believe you've never. I would seen assume so. Big Lebowski, and that I, was I, over a decade ago. <laughs> I remember that. Con- I remember you seeing it a little bit later uh, than, yeah. than expected. Um, I, I definitely have a memory of that. Mm-hmm. My memory sort of stops there, but but yes, I, I remember that you you were a little of a bit of a latecomer to to the Pickleball. Yes, yes. Um, it was a bit of an accident that we we've now done a film noir twice in a row on this podcast uh, with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and now the Big Lebowski. Unconventional film noir. 
Yeah, two identical yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two LA movies. I guess before we go much further, Peter, I'm curious to hear about your relationship with this movie. I know you love it. Yeah, yeah. so I, I do. I do love this movie. And it's a tough movie to cop to loving, you know, because there's an immediate sort of association with, you know, I, I think of like dorm room posters and being high <laughs> and, and, and loving this movie. And it kind of, it, it feels like it's a tough one to just come right out and say that you love. I, I feel like it's, the conversation has maybe shifted in the last decade or so around this movie. I think there's a lot to dig into in terms of its legacy and how it's being received now versus probably when it first came out. So my dad was a movie reviewer. And so as part of that, he would receive packages from movies when they were being released. And I remember he got like this package of Big Lebowski related like paraphernalia. So uh, one of which was a deck of cards uh, that had like all the characters from the Big Lebowski in it. He had like a coffee table book about the Big Lebowski. A lot of it was uh, shots from the dream sequence. So I remember even being young, obviously not old enough to see the film yet, but having sort of these like little artifacts of the Big Lebowski laying around the house, which was a really weird thing because it's just at that point, you know, it was this kind of overlooked uh, Coen Brothers movie. Um, And then when I finally saw it, I, you know, it to me, it was just a really funny movie, right? When I first saw it, it was just a really funny movie. And then as I started to revisit it over and over again, I think it uncovered a lot of things, uh, particularly taken in the context of, of what the Coen brothers are doing. And, and I'll say right out that the Coen brothers are by far my, my favorite uh, directors uh, ever. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have my little top five movies list. And if I was being honest, it would mostly just be a ranking of Coen brothers movies. Um, <laughs> and so I think uh, I, I think when we kind of look at 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 the Big Lebowski as part of their filmography, I think in a lot of ways, it's like their most ambitious movie. That's something that's kind of come to the fore with me as I rewatch it. I think that it's trying to do so much. And I think that's when it kind of gets a little messy and it doesn't always succeed, but it feels like it's just trying to do so much and it's admirable in that respect. But at the end of the day, for me, this is like my comfort movie. I think I've seen the first 45 minutes of this movie probably two to three dozen times. Um, (laughs) Wow. Basically, up until the CCR uh, throwing the ringer over the bridge. I think I've seen up until that point, probably two or three dozen times. So to me, it's always a quick and easy one to throw on. Uh, I'll always get a laugh. It's it's. But if you want to dig deeper, you always can. Yeah, I feel like this movie and we'll get into some of the interpretations. But, um, you know, they say true art can be interpreted many different ways. And this movie does kind of leave you with this feeling of like, that was about something. What was it about? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean in that, like, I think it's trying to do a lot and that's where it can sometimes fall flat on its face. Uh, and we can dig in deeper, I think, to some of the things that it's trying to do. But you have to just admire it, right? You have to admire the fact that it's bringing in all these kind of crazy threads uh, that are both related to some of the Coen brothers' other other movies but are also related to I, I, I laughed when you said it was a noir because to me recently I've been I've been revisiting it more as a Western. And and what does it mean to look at this movie as a Western? Um, I think it is a noir, right? You know, the big Lebowski, the big sleep, right? There's all these connections we can draw to, to film noir. But I, I think it's just kind of a fun exercise to look at this as, as a Western. Um, yeah. I also think it's a fun 
a, a fun movie to look at as a bit of a fairy tale. I, I think you can also look at it as almost like an allegory or a fairy tale of mm. uh, a lot of different things. So I, I think that's what's so fun about it is it's almost kind of like looking through a kaleidoscope. You can kind of just shift your perspective a little bit and see totally new things. Um, so that's why I love this. I hope that comes through. That this like I, I just love this movie. I think there's. I think you could probably spend a lifetime watching it, and that sounds like such a ridiculous thing to say about what is ultimately about a stoner who bowls, right? Like that's what it boils down to for me. Is there's just so much you can extract from this film, and I don't even think it's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. So hmm. yeah. Well, before we get into uh, more about the movie, let's uh, a little bit of context. Um, of course, it was uh, made by the Coen brothers, directed by Joel Cohen, written by Ethan and Joel Cohen. This movie was made for 15, it uh, came out in 1998. It was made for $15 million and it made $46 million at the box office, which I don't think is like a, like a smash hit. It is not. And uh, and it's I mean, it's a pretty star studded cast with Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, uh, John Turturro, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tara Reid, Tara Reid. And of course, like there's if you're a Coen Brothers fan, you recognize lots of other people as well. Um, You pointed out that Amy Mann is in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Was this the with this latest rewatch? Was that the first time you realized who Amy Mann was? The yeah, totally. I I hadn't put that together. Uh, So she's the one who loses the toe. Oh, so when they when they're at the diner and she orders the pancakes, yeah, Uh she's the nihilist girlfriend. Um, which is funny that she's kind of there with these losers because she's talked about um in the past that she quit. She went sober after uh sitting through. I forget what movie it was. She had to sit through a movie with Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. And she said the experience of watching a movie with those two caused her to quit drugs and alcohol altogether because it was so insufferable. So it's kind of funny that we have then this scene where she's hanging out with these just loser nihilists. And <laughs> must and have she's given to her toe for this. Uh, and she's given her toe <laughs> to them. <laughs> um, it really did not get much award neck uh recognition um just some other movies that came out in 1998 uh american history x the truman show uh fear and loathing in las vegas pleasantville rushmore night at the roxbury just to name a few after fargo correct like it was the follow-up to Fargo. yeah two years after yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and raising arizona was was uh, i think in like 1987 so that was a, yeah. a while before this one. I mean, but, Fargo was nominated for Best Picture, right? So it's like, as a follow-up, maybe it didn't seem to land the same way. Yeah, I don't mean to spoil kind of what I was going to talk about, but it's such a weird zig uh, from from the Coen brothers after releasing Fargo, right? They're, they're sort of these indie darlings who have released. So that's to, that's my favorite Coen brothers movie, Fargo. Um, mm-hmm. And to then kind of follow it up with this kind of weird stoner comedy, I think just threw everybody for a loop. Uh, I think also having Steve Buscemi basically just be this quiet background character uh, coming off of his performance in Fargo and like 98 is Steve Buscemi's biggest year by a lot. He's in Armageddon. He's, you know, he's, he's sort of like the top of the world as much as Steve Buscemi can be on top of the world. And he's just relegated <laughs> to this kind of quiet background character, I think too, is a, is, is a move for sure. He's always trying to get involved in all the scenes. What's going on? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. Like a child, who you're out of your theater. element, Donnie. Yeah. 
there, there's some weird ties just with the mentioning Fargo too. There's like some funny little things like, you know, Steve Buscemi's like died in every, uh, every Coen brothers movie. I think it's like Miller's crossing Fargo and, uh, and uh, Big Lebowski, and they say his his corpse keeps getting smaller. <laughs> in Miller's Crossing, he's just a body. In Fargo, he's being wood chipped, and yeah. then finally, he's just a, a coffee tin of ashes. In Big Lebowski, <laughs> <laughs> it's our most modestly priced receptacle. <laughs> yeah. uh, we also get Carl Hungus, uh, who is uh, you know one of the nihilists. He, of course, is also in in Fargo um, as as uh, Steve Buscemi's accomplice, and uh, he wants to go to the International House of Pancakes in Fargo, and he finally gets his pancakes in uh, in Big Lebowski. <laughs> oh, great call! Nice. Yep. That's uh, yep. Peter Peter Stormare, who again also will appear in Armageddon uh, alongside Steve Buscemi. So kind of a weird <laughs> connection there as well is that they they get to rehash their their Fargo relationship and their uh, Big Lebowski relationship, and one of the great uh, disaster films of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I've never seen Armageddon. Oh boy! Oh wow! <laughs> so it's a it's it's a movie. It's definitely a movie. Um, it's a lot. Have you heard you the Aerosmith song? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't truly heard it until you've seen Ben Affleck using animal crackers across Liv Tyler's body as they sing it. That's that's kind <laughs> yeah. of the. It's a lot. Everything in that movie is just a lot. Yeah. It's everything is dialed up to eleven. Uh, I didn't really like research like the making of this movie. Do you, do you know anything interesting about the making of it? I have a I have a little bit. I mean, not a lot. I, so I, if you guys have never listened to it, uh, Roger Deakins, who's been the the cinematographer for all of the Coen Brothers or a lot of the Coen Brothers films, um, and, and a lot of other movies as well. Uh, he did, I think, most recently Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but um, he did, of course, No Country for Old Men. Um, and the big Lebowski. And so he hosts a podcast alongside his wife uh, and they interviewed Joel mm. Cohen um, kind of in one of their, their first episodes. It's a great podcast. Highly recommend checking it out. It's called team Deacons. If you're into, into movies. Oh, cool. And one of the interesting things they were talking about shooting the big Lebowski. And uh, this is something I didn't realize, but they are not big improv people as writers. So, so they really, uh, they try not to allow their actors to improv. I think they have really good relationships, which is again, something I want to talk about later, but they have really good relationships with everyone who acts in their films and hearing that conversation and then rewatching the big Lebowski, it just seems impossible. I don't know how you would be able to make it through this film as an actor, especially if you're Jeff Bridges and not improv a little bit because the, the, the lines of dialogue just feel so, organic i think that's kind of one of the beautiful ways of, of how this film is written is it just feels so organic and at the same time you you have to understand that he's not improving any of it um yeah so you know I, I i think ultimately they they really just wanted to make a movie about one of their buddies uh so this is based on a guy named jeff dowd uh who was a member mm -hmm. apparently of the seattle seven along with six other guys and so that was kind of the inspiration of the film. But I think they just wanted to follow up Fargo with something a little bit more fun and a little bit more zany. Especially mm. with Walter and Donnie and the dude, like when those three are together, like the way the dialogue just stacks on top of each other. And yeah. they're like, they're like not like all three of them basically aren't listening to each other and talking over each other. It's crazy to think. Yeah, it's crazy to think that that's perfectly 
following the script when they do that. <laughs> At the same time, and I know you mentioned like feeling organic, like there's something that I really picked up on in this movie, which is the way that the characters absorb the language from each other and like how they like I like when, um, you know, the dude sees George H.W. Bush uh, giving that speech. And then later he's like, this aggression will not stand like they, yeah, they, right. they pick up. Um, turns a phrase from the other characters as this movie goes along. And that's something that I really like because it's something that everyone does mm-hmm. um, consciously or subconsciously, but it, that it made it feel, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's realistic, but like it added like a, it added something for sure. To all it the is. It, it's, it's that. And also just the amount of times that someone doesn't finish their sentence is just like a, yeah. like it mm. happens so much in this movie, but there are so many lines like that. There's, um, there's a, this aggression will not stand. Uh, he repeats the her life uh, is in your. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. This poor woman. Yeah. And, and it, this it, poor her woman. life was in our hands, Walter. Um, <laughs> and then uh, he he uh, he tells uh, the dude tells the big Lebowski nothing is fucked here, which is something Walter says a few times to him. <laughs> um, the in the parlance of our times is a line that uh, right, Julie, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Maude fix from Maude, yeah. <laughs> uh, Johnson, and then, uh, phrase Johnson, yeah. And then finally, the dude abides is yeah. maybe maybe the biggest amount of time between uh, uh, you know him hearing it and repeating it. But uh, the big Lebowski says, "I will not abide another toe." <laughs> I caught that this one uh, this time around as well, Sean. Um, that that use of abide. Uh, so so if 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 you'll entertain me, that was actually one of the themes that I wanted to kind of talk about. Which is, yeah, I think there's a lot in this in this film from the very opening lines about the dude is a man for our time, and kind of being a man for our time. And so I literally have outlined uh, on my little doc here all the different words and phrases that he repeats. Uh, so my favorite one is coitus. Um, when Julianne Moore <laughs> asks him to participate in coitus, coitus, and then somebody asks about sex later, and he says, "You mean coitus?" Uh, <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to to put that out there. If if the dude is the man for our time, how did that? How does that land with you? What do you What do you think that means in this context? Because to me, it, he's it is kind of part of that film noir aspect that he kind of just blends in. He's he's a, he's a little bit of a chameleon. He, he's kind of nowhere and everywhere at once. Um, and, and part of me also sees this a little bit as a kind of a boomer allegory, right? Like we have kind of these very different visions of what the baby boomers are or were. Uh, you know, you have Walter on one hand, who's this guy who's very much tied in the past. Yeah, at one point he says, uh, you're damn right I'm living in the fucking past. 3,000 years of beautiful tradition from <laughs> Moses to Sandy Koufax. And then you have, you know, the dude who's very much just kind of floating through the present, not really fully invested in, in anything that had happened before or since. So I kind of just wondered how, what you think about that, that idea is, as the dude is a man for the time. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I, I had, you know, I had heard, too, that, you know, almost every character in the movie is kind of stuck in time in in their own way. Like, um. Walter, you said, I mean, Jackie Treehorn is kind of like in this like sort of Hugh Hefner like yeah. realm. Um, uh, even even Maude, you know, with her kind of like Yoko Ono vibe. Um, but I think the dude also kind of represents, you know, this sort of hippie, you know, movement with the what with the like the Seattle seven and stuff like that. The Port Huron statement. Um, 
which was just this <laughs> bizarre philosophical oh, yeah. ecological thesis uh, apparently that he <laughs> that he signed on on I wonder a little bit and I feel a little out of my depth here but it feels like the you're dude I mean this movie Edwin. came hmm? you're out of your element Edwin <laughs> <laughs> I'm entering a world of pain um, but okay this movie comes out in 98 and it's set in 91 and like I'm wondering if like the dude's sort of at first I was thinking like the sort of float through life kind of what do you do what is what is you what is your recreation what is your job you know it doesn't really he's like he's like I don't know man right yeah. <laughs> uh, it, there's there's an element of it that feels very California, yeah. um, which is just kind of like take it easy West Coast mentality. Like let's go bowling, man. Fuck it, you know. And there's also this element of I'm thinking of how the movie kind of starts with this uh, this George Bush thing and a Ralphs, and it makes me think that like maybe there's an element of it being very 90s, where it's almost like there's kind of this economic prosperity in America. Everything seems crazy, but you can just kind of take it easy. None of it actually matters. It turns into anything. Um, it's very, uh, again, out of my depth here, like pre nine 11 sort of, you know, view of the nineties, the world, the United States, like it's, mm-hmm. it's carefree, uh, and not too self-serious in a way, you know? Yeah. I don't think you're out of your depth at all. Uh, and I think you nailed it too with, with the dude kind of floating. I mean, there's literally like a, when he gets punched, uh, he's, he's literally floating above Los Angeles, right. As they play the man and me by Bob Dylan, yeah. one of the best uses <laughs> of music in a movie I think ever. Um, so no, I think, I think you nailed it. And I just that's something that always stands out to me, because if we're to take movies kind of at their face value, that's the opening monologue is the stranger uh, played by Sam Elliott talking about how the dude is sort of the man for his time. And there's these moments where a man is kind of born and then you watch it. You're like, this dude doesn't do anything. He doesn't really represent anything. He's not like he has no beliefs. He has no convictions. Uh, he, he just kind of says what other people say and adopts it as his own. So what does that say about the 90s? Right. Like. That seems pretty damning in the end. I wonder it's it's one of those things too where like I wonder so much about what that means that it's like I, I just imagine the Coens and their friend Jeff Dowd and them just being like, What is it about Jeff? Right. Well how he's got it all figured out. And it's like and then maybe and like you know, yeah, like Jeff is essentially the dude. <laughs> like it's like I don't know. I mean Maybe this is a good time to talk about one of the sort of like fan theories out there or, or one of the interpretations of this movie with with, you know, the line about him being a man for the times and stuff like the the dude is sort of this Christ like figure mm-hmm. uh, like there's a there's a few uh, like undeniable like um connections one is that is just the way he looks uh with with the robe and the jelly sandals and (laughs) and the long hair and the beard uh you know he he has kind of this weird philosophical like vibe to him but uh also at the end of the movie the stranger says it's a comforting thing the dude's out there taking her easy for all us sinners (laughs) <laughs> yeah and 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 i think that that kind of goes back to um all the stuff this movie tries to fit in thematically and sometimes it's not always working uh because i think there is a reading of this film too is yeah the dude is the dude is christ like the, the dude is supposed to be like you said this this christ-like figure in a lot of ways i mean he just gets the shit be- beat out of him constantly like Throughout the movie, he just keeps getting beat up. And it's, you know, I think yeah. that's also part of the film noir aspect. You know, you, if, if you watch Chinatown or, or or The Big Sleep, 
like that's always a part of it is the detective is always just getting beat up um more recently if you haven't seen inherent vice it's it's another great one um and so i think that's part of it but also yeah if you are to take him as sort of the sacrificial figure he's just getting assaulted constantly and he never fights back when when treehorn's thugs like come into his house like he's just like 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 after the guy's like stuck his head in the toilet and everything, he just kind of sits down and he's like, "Yeah, well, clearly you're not a golfer." He's some house broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just cracking jokes. Ed- Edwin, I, I don't want to get too far away from something you said early on, which is that this movie wasn't really what you expected. Uh, do you do you oh, yeah. mind elaborating on that a little bit? Because I I think we're kind of getting there a little bit, but I w- I want to hear more about what that means. Yeah, I mean, I think part of uh sort of you know, faking your way through conversation, faking my way, I should say, through conversations and not engaging too much with it, um, avoiding the fact, avoiding telling people that I haven't seen this movie, right? It was always kind of, you know, what did I, I really knew very little. Like I knew about the dude and I knew about white Russians and uh, Jesus, the bowler and uh, little bits and pieces, little quotes, things that here and there, I guess like um, I didn't realize it comes from a place of no expectations. I know that this movie was very well loved. I didn't realize like almost how comedic it would be. I guess I didn't think uh, like I enjoyed the way that the plot came together, this sort of um, um, not mystery elements, but like detective noir sort of elements that you had and like these different threads blended in. And then at the end, kind of when, um, you know, they, they scattered down Donnie's ashes and they just decided to go bowling again. It's kind of like, Oh, that was it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> at first it felt, I don't want to say a letdown, but like, it, again, not what I was expecting. Right. Um, cause as time has passed these few hours that have passed since I've seen this movie, um, like I, I do, I did really appreciate it, but it, it, it was, it was kind of that, like, I didn't expect all these different things. I didn't, I didn't know about the dream sequences, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah it, it just, uh, wasn't what I thought it was going to be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think in some ways the ending can't tie everything together, right? That's sort of the point of any noir is that none of the details actually end up mattering, right? You know, at one point, mm-hmm. uh, Maude is alluding to the fact that he's paying with the foundation money and you think that that's going to be something. And it, like none of it ends up mattering. None of it matters, right, in the end. Mm-hmm. But so I think it's it's always so hard to tie up those types of stories, particularly those types of kind of noir stories, because the point is in the end that nothing ever ended up actually mattering. Um I do think, well, which is kind of nihilism, but I think the unfortunate part is I think this movie does kind of drag at the end. I think the last 15 to 20 minutes mm. are are not as good as as the rest of the film. Um, mm. I would I would personally argue uh, those are my own feelings about it. But I, I think it is it's a really hard movie to conclude. I, I, you know, how are you going to tie up all these different strains that are coming together? Uh, and And in the end, it's just fuck it, dude, let's go bowling. So (laughs) to the point of like nothing really happens in this movie, I I did read that like one of their one of the Coen's like um, good friends read the script and told them, um, you know, he should get a rug in the end of the movie. Like he like at least he should get like his rug back or like, you know, Maude is going to give him a rug or something. And they and I guess they like agreed. They were like, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe he should. And they did. And then they just kind of didn't really do it, Mm. Um, (laughs) which I don't know. I I like that because because my second point was going to be that like the like some great film noir, 
the plot is almost secondary um, to, you know, just like the vibe of the movie. Uh, the best example being The Big Sleep, which is kind of like the main, I think, inspiration. Yeah. Big Sleep, Big Lebowski. Um, there's a like a famous story that, you know, Ra- Raymond Chandler, the great film noir writer, wrote The Big Sleep. And then later they adapted it in, into a movie. And the film writers um, didn't understand one part of the mystery, like the chauffeur gets murdered. And so they called up Raymond Chandler and they were like, who killed the chauffeur? And he was like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And I think and I think that's so like, I don't know. That story really makes me chuckle. And it's like, I think that it's like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. It's not really that it's for whatever reason, even though it is a mystery and a detective story, it doesn't. Yeah, I don't and, get bogged down in the details. <laughs> and I think that's and I'm not like a I'm not like a big film nor buff. I'm not a you know historian of the genre or any, anything like that. But I think it is funny, like how easily those types of movies lend themselves to being comedies. Like I think about like, you know, more recently we have like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is, you know, a noir film and definitely veers into comedy um, by uh, uh Shane Black. And then he also wrote um, The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, which is basically oh, like yeah. a very similar plot structure to The Big Lebowski. And in the end, the same thing is it's like, that you know, nothing really matters. None of these plot lines ever kind of come together. It's ultimately just kind of a farce. It's just it's it's a comedy in the end. Totally. And it's so it's kind of funny how it's this it's this this genre that you would associate with super serious, very darkly lit, you know, um, crime films that just end up veering into into basically comedy i think out of all the coen brothers movies and and maybe we can kind of talk about this next this made me really want to rewatch hail caesar um which i've only seen once out of i think it's the one that i've i've i haven't done a repeat viewing of because it feels really similar to the big lebowski in a lot of ways right this kind of hollywood set yeah um crime comedy um send up that that i think shares a lot of dna with the big lebowski but i haven't i haven't had a chance to revisit it since rewatching the big lebowski but that does yeah, that make... that popped into my head too especially with that whole dance sequence that totally. happens in the dream you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the I was almost like maybe the Coens like just wanted to do this again. And that's why they made <laughs> Hail Caesar. Yeah, <laughs> for like, sure. It was really fun when we did that choreographed dance. Yeah. Uh so I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know, where does this rank in terms of of for you among the Coen Brothers movies? Where where would you where would you put this one? And as a, a reminder for maybe some of the listeners, they've made you know No Country for Old Men, um, Fargo, uh, Hail Caesar, as I mentioned, Burn After Reading. Uh, mo- most recently, Joel Cohen went independent and, and and directed Macbeth, which came out a couple of years ago and is great. Mm-hmm. How about for you guys? Where does this rank? Well, I should maybe I should maybe start and say that like I've man I I've seen a number of Coen Brothers movies, but I haven't seen them all. Like yeah. <laughs> that's one thing. Um, and as I look at this list, I've actually feel like I've missed a lot of the last ones after maybe Burn After Reading. I think yeah. So uh, I mm. missed, or I mean, like I, as I look at a few of them, there's just many that I haven't seen. But um, I mean, it's I guess for the ones that I've seen. It's not above like Oh Brother Where Art Thou or um you know um No Country or some of the others. Um Raising Arizona has been a favorite for a long time. Uh, I but I do Raising really like Arizona. it. I think uh it's a movie that'll probably grow on me a lot, I think, as time yeah. goes, you know? Yeah, I think uh man, 
I I feel like you got you got to put Fargo number one. Yeah. Um, I might put. Man, I might put. Gosh, I feel like this is kind of a boring ranking. I feel like I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Uh, Fargo. Oh, brother, where art thou? And then I think I would say, man, there. These movies are so good. I mean, <laughs> but I you know I what else though? Big Lebowski third. You know what else though? I think one thing that I love about Coen Brother movies, and I, I suppose I should say with the, the 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 ones that I have seen, is the movies that like. I really love like Oh Brother Where Art Thou and Raising Arizona, like the ones that I think of. I also have like a very sort of emotional connection to like, yeah. you know, I, I have fond memories of watching them with my dad, you know? So like, it is funny how these movies in particular, I think lend themselves to a ton of um, emotional attachment, them becoming cult classics, them having great soundtracks. Like there are all these things that, about this sort of, um, I don't want to say a genre of film, but like Coen Brothers movies are like um, unique in that regard. You know, they like, they create a lot of attachment, I think. You know, there's something very epic feeling about some some Coen Brother movies. Like Big Lebowski mm-hmm. kind of feels epic. Um, Hail <laughs> Caesar, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I, I really do enjoy some of like I I guess I'd call them quieter movies, like smaller movies, like Barton Fink, um, A Serious Man, uh, and maybe even Hudsucker Proxy. Oddly enough, mm. uh, and Inside Lou and Davis. Yeah, uh, those are just like those are kind of like you don't really hear people talk about those ones as much. And I think they're they're even they're they're very strange movies. Um, I really appreciate those ones, too. Yeah. A Serious Man is, I think, mind blowing. Uh, if people haven't seen it, you know, it's it's I think it's pretty short. I think it's like just over 90 minutes, kind of similar to Fargo. And it, that one definitely mm-hmm. does just feel like an allegory contained in a in a, you know, 90 right. to 100 minute film. It's basically the book of Job uh, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And, and I think I think what they're so good at is being able to make those epics that contain a lot in them and then also being able to make those quieter kind of incisive films uh, like Inside Lewin Davis, I think, shares a lot of DNA with some of the themes in The Big Lebowski. Um, hmm. And so I just I, I was just curious kind of where, where you all kind of put it, because I've been I've been revisiting some of them. I rewatched No Country for Old Men recently and boy, that movie just blew my mind. Uh, I think it was maybe my third time seeing it. And I remember the first time I saw it, not to veer into talking about No Country, but the first time I saw it, I I, th- I left the theater and I was like, I hated that movie. And then I mm-hmm. thought about it more and I was like, I don't think my heartbeat went below 100 beats per minute during the entire film. I don't think I hated it. I think I hated my physiological reaction to watching the movie in a theater. And then rewatching it, I thought this is maybe one of the great movies of the last 30, 40 years. Um, and the reason I bring that one up in particular is because in that interview with the Deacons, which, which Roger Deacons also shot, no country for old men has no music and it's difficult to imagine the big Lebowski has a movie without any music because it's so additive, (laughs) right? Like, and they've always been, you know, great soundtrack, great soundtrack, amazing score, uh, Mm -hmm a lot of their movies live and die with, with the music. And then to go out and make a film that has literally zero music in it is such an interesting choice again, where, you know, they are able to just harvest these really emotional reactions and do it in so many different ways. I think that's just what makes them so good. Cause if you don't have emotional reactions to no country for old men, I mean, you may as well be Anton Chigurh yourself. I mean, like that movie just <laughs> strikes fear into, into, into me at least. Um, yeah. 
I think, think I think too, like you know, with with those quieter movies that we were mentioning too, like again, it just they're they're movies that leave you with this feeling of like that movie was about something, like yeah. almost as if there's a yep. word on the tip of your tongue. And you can't think of it. And I think that's why I don't really like Hail Caesar as much. It's a very fun movie and really, really impressive. But when I walked out of the theater of Hail Caesar, I had this feeling of like, I, I totally got that. It was like, it was a little bit like surface. Like mm-hmm. I knew exactly there, there, there wasn't a ton of depth there. Whereas even though the Big Lebowski feels very similar and is kind of a fun, you know, sort of romp like movie like it it still leaves you with that feeling of like what was that all about <laughs> yeah and they're very good at that they're very good at that i mean now that we're talking about it it's funny all of their movies end on this note of pretty serious nihilism you know i mean the big lebowski ends with them you know just going back to bowling um i i don't want to spoil a bunch of films but you know burn after reading one of my favorite closing lines well what did we learn here I'm not sure, sir. Right. And and then it just, sort of, <laughs> yeah. right. There's no lessons to be learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly right. convoluted political, you know, thriller comedy plot. Uh, Inside Lewin <laughs> Davis is the same. A serious man ends on this incredibly dire final shot of the film. There's no line of dialogue, right. but boy, like the apocalypse is definitely coming and anything you did doesn't matter. Uh, no Country for Old yeah. Men, similarly. I mean, yeah. They yeah, are yeah. just incredibly nihilistic filmmakers, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. And Fargo has, uh, yeah, Fargo. I mean, Fargo has like my favorite kind of closing monologue from Marge where she just says, and you did it all for what? A little bit of money. And when I rewatched that film a couple of years ago, I mean, I almost started crying at, at that final, that final monologue. I don't know what it was, but you talk about again, Edwin, going back to those emotional reactions we have to these films. That one just like filled me with, with a, a, mm. like a lot of just, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have much hope anymore. So I think it's funny in both comedies and dramas, they're just very focused in on this, this aspect of nothing really changing. Before I forget though, too, you kind of mentioned in like the end of the, the end of big Lebowski and how it, it drags a little bit. I don't disagree with that, but the, the scene where they scatter Donnie's ashes and particularly right after Walter, uh, realizes that all the ashes have fallen on the dude. Um, there's something about, like, just like the dude's little freak out right there, where yeah. he's like, you know, pushes Walter and he's like, what the <laughs> hell was that, man? What was that? Like, what does Vietnam have to do with anything? Like, him just like kind of exploding and expressing his frustration in that moment is like kind of like. I don't know. It, it's an it's like an emotional anchor point for the movie, or uh, there's something about it. And and yeah. then just that, and that Walter, uh, also for the first time in the movie, just hangs his head and says, says "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry." Because that says, is not something that he does for the mm-hmm. entire movie. He always stands his ground. <laughs> he says, "Everything with you is a fucking tragedy," and it's true. Yeah. Every time yeah. the dude brings something to him, he's like, "No, man, this is what we got to do, man. Here's our, here's what, here's what we're gonna do, dude." And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of refocusing on this particular movie. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, <laughs> but like, no, no, no. It was, it was. I thought it was amazing, but we, but like, um, it's good to you know bring it back and. Uh, I thought that was such an important thing to kind of express because like, that's such a frustrating thing. But at the same time, like 
they're kind of all each other has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go back and, uh, you know, the fact that like they, they express this stuff and they say, I'm sorry. And they hug and they go back to bowling. I thought it was like really a really funny way to kind of uh, cycle through their loss. It, at, at the end of the day, too, like I think if you want to just focus in on on some of the smaller themes of the film, it is just about like male friendship and the fact that these guys just hang out with each other constantly. And I think kind of going yeah. back too to like that theme about, you know, gener- like how do we look at this movie as a generational film? Like the dude and Walter would have been on complete opposite sides of a protest, you know, you, you picture 30, 30 years ago or, or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then here they are, they're back in the same place. You know, they're, they're still hanging out. They're, they're bowling together. Um, I do, I do love, I think one of the most beautiful moments of the film is, is Walter's eulogy for Donnie. And I was, I was just curious because it's never touched on, but when he talks about him being a surfer as a yeah. surfer, he explored <laughs> yeah. the beaches of Southern California from La Jolla to Leo Carrillo and up to Pismo. I looked it up on Google Maps. It's like a four-hour stretch of of driving from those, all of those locations, which is just so good. Um, I I always thought that Walter just you know a few names of some beaches popped into his head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny how you mentioned them being on opposite sides of the protest because I think that is kind of a funny thing about their friendship is that like now that I'm thinking about it, you you mentioned Sean like these these Christ images or that the fact that he's always kind of uh seeking peace in 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 some sort of ways like even when he's he doesn't yeah he doesn't he doesn't fight back i mean at the end he's just trying to give the guy his money when they had the conversation in the parking lot where walter on the other side is always looking for an enemy yeah he draws the gun on Smokey. um you know he he always talks about he's talking about charlie and he's like we had a worthy adversary you know yeah um and like there's something about walter that he's always looking for enemies um and all the people that are right in front of him the waitress at the diner. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm finishing my coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there, there is a, there is this theme like throughout the movie about like, what kind of man are you? Yeah. And, you know, and about your ethos, you know, like Walter's like nihilist. <laughs> Oh my God! Like you know, they don't say, even have an ethos. Like say what you will about quote the tenets of heard. national socialism. At least it's an ethos. Yeah, right? yeah. Like he's like yeah, that's Nazis a quote that like I've nihilist. heard, I've heard and seen in other places many times, yeah. and I was like, oh, it comes from this. Okay. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. too, like man, that's something that I really kind of latched onto with this movie is that it feels like very there's like um there's like a subcategory of like '90s LA storytelling. I think in movies and books mm. and stuff. Yeah. And. I think one thing that I've kind of latched onto or noticed is that like they they're very quick to categorize everyone and characters are quick to categorize themselves yes. as like nihilist communists like pacifists or these like right. yeah subscribing to different philosophies in this very like categorical way both like the way that people are described and how people describe themselves and He's so I thought that was very funny that like they're quick to categorize everyone like it feels yeah. if uh, you know as like a man for our times it feels like an exercise of that time yeah that's a that's a really great point, Edwin. I, and now, of course, like my my brain is firing on all the different. Yeah, <laughs> they you know they talk about the Chinese American. Uh, this isn't the guy who built the railroads, the kraut down at the right. league office. I mean, yeah, there's it, it's it could be pretty. Uh, it, it, some of that hasn't aged very well, but at the same time, you're 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 right on that. There is this categorization of everyone they encounter um, that I think is is really interesting. That's great. Good point. It hasn't aged very well, but I love that they they address that immediately. Like yeah, so yeah. with it's the dude, done so well with the dude saying a slur, and then like, 
And then uh, Walter's like, <laughs> like he's like, that's not the appropriate term. And then continues to use it. Right. <laughs> like it's just right. like, <laughs> um, man, what uh, should we get into? Just some favorite parts of this movie. I mean, I get yeah. I, I just want to know more about what Edwin enjoyed. Uh, uh, you know, maybe some quotes that you had heard that you didn't know. Uh, you know that you were kind of like enjoyed the it popping up in the movie. There were some that I knew. Um, you know, it's so funny that I, I remember Peter, you talking in, in, in one other time about like the Knutsons and like the Knutsons. Who the fuck are the Knutsons, right? And that coming up, and then like that also being like a Fargo reference. Yeah, I remember you talking yeah. about that and not really knowing what the other reference point was outside of Fargo, but like it was very funny to hear it come up. I'm like, oh, I heard Peter talk about this. Yeah. Um, and and weirdly, and, that's in that's in uh, Fargo season one, the TV series. Is there's a Mrs. Knutson. Uh, and that as okay, well. That's so there's what this, it was. there's sort yeah. of like Coen Brothers cinematic universe of the Knutsons, which I just love. This, they apparently, yeah, the they almost, they almost made Bunny, Bunny Gunderson. I think that's, uh, and I think that's supposed to be, um, Oh, Marge, Marge Gunderson. Yeah. The sheriff yeah, in Fargo. Right. Yeah. Francis mm-hmm. McDormand. Yeah. The main, yes. Mm. Um, I guess, sorry, Sean, what was your question? Just like quotes that I like. Yeah, yeah, I want to know more about, yeah, was there anything that you were like, oh, you know, that's, I've heard that one before. I mean, there are a lot that, like, I I knew, but, like, didn't think of that came to this movie, like, um, I'm trying to think of good examples, you know. Um, I mean, I knew about the rug really tying the room together, the one that we talked about, the, <laughs> say what you will about the tenets of socialism, at least it's an ethos. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there are others that really were like that. Um but yeah, I mean, in general, the dialogue in this movie is just like, it's so funny. Um, yeah. Were there any scenes that stuck out to you, Edwin? Because um, I, I know it's one thing to hear the dialogue, but then you actually kind of see it in context. Were there any uh, particular mm-hmm. maybe set pieces or, or, or scenes that come that kind of came together in a way that, that you enjoyed? Um, I will say, like, I mean, again, watching this movie, like, in, in the context that I did, like, I, I enjoyed kind of when he's reading the letter, the ransom note, and kind of like, okay, this is kind of what this movie's about. Um and then uh, that's a bummer, man. It's a bummer. Um, but then also, uh, I think probably the funniest scene to me was the getting rid of the ringer and uh, throwing, you know, yeah. um, throwing the tidy whities out the window. Like that, that was probably the scene that <laughs> like, I thought was the funniest where he's like, all right, give me the Uzi. You think I went and he says, what? I think I, you think I go in naked or something like that. Um, and just like him. Like the fact that Walter has like come up with this plan without the dude involved. He's like, all right, you're a wheel, dude. When yeah. it hits 15, I'm rolling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the number of and times. And his plan is just to beat one of them. Yeah. yeah. The number of times he screws up to saying uh, us instead of me, like on the phone with the. With <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Who's us? Yeah. Hot damn it. The like, royal, like, royal we. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, and I'm glad you brought that seat up too, Edwin, because I, I, one of the things that stuck out to me as I watched this most recent time was just the amount of physical comedy in this movie is so good. It's so well done. Like, yes, the dialogue mm-hmm. sings always, but the physical comedy is so good. The most recently, I love the, uh, when he's nailing down the board, uh, to prevent them from getting in his door. 
and he's yeah, setting the chair up and then it, the door opens the wrong way. Oh, yeah, they yeah. open the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then later he trips over it and like you're, and then, like it just shows the shot of the board. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the, another great physical comedy moment is I love the, the chief of police of Malibu. A mug throws. The way he throws that <laughs> mug at his head, it just he just like pushes it. <laughs> that the the Malibu PD scene is is one of the all time greats. And then I think I don't even know if it counts as a physical bit, but uh, when Jackie Treehorn's on the phone, he looks like he's taking notes. And the dude, kind of like being a detective, kind of goes over and kind of traces to see what yeah. he was writing. And it's just the guy with a giant penis on the notepad is just so good that is that is one of the funniest parts of the whole movie what's especially funny about that is it's like all of a sudden you know uh the dude has sort of like become comfortable with his role as detective Right, and like, only like you know, detective work. Yeah, and, and especially like because like Jeff Bridges pops up and he does this little step. Like, <laughs> you know, right. It's so good. And then yeah, and then and then that drawing and like the way too that like he's like you know scratching it and then like the scratching slows down. Yeah. Like it's all just perfectly. The comedic timing of it is brilliant. And then it's yeah. the only other thing in his wallet when they, they yeah. get emptied out in front of the, the Ralph's card. Is this your only form of identification? Right. The Ralph's value card? Yeah. <laughs> Jackie Treehorn draws a lot of water in this town, Lebowski. <laughs> um, uh, can, can I ask, can I ask one? Yeah. yeah. I, so who are your favorite? What are your, what are some of your favorite other performances? So outside of, you know, Donnie obviously and Walter and, and the dude what are some of your favorite other performances outside of those that that, that you saw to, to tee it up I, I mean I, my my favorites yeah. my, my two favorites are Marty the dude's landlord uh who's got the dance yep. recital coming up um and then that, just drops that in was that gonna it's... be mine <laughs> oh, no, Marty sorry. was gonna be mine too <laughs> yeah all right so Marty's <laughs> off the table sorry about that uh and then I would uh, also say David Thewlis as what's his name Knox Harrington um so David Thewlis oh. is actually in Fargo season one the tv series he plays the villain um or no sorry season three and he's the one who's sitting on the couch uh kind of laughing while uh Maud oh, and yeah, the, dude. the guy in the chair. What is this oh, guy's yeah. deal? <laughs> <laughs> that when they're just like both laughing on the phone, and yeah. he's like, I love moments like that. This movie is very good at like it, it, like it stops and takes a moment sometimes, like just like stuff like that. It's like, what is the like this joke doesn't even, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and I mean, and that, and, and also just all the times that like they just kind of stop, and you just get some really nice cinematography of bowling. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, the, dude! The yeah. opening credits to this film are, yeah, second to none. They're so good. Mm. That was one thing I kind of noticed: the opening credits of this movie. And I mean, it's just like you know, it's Coen Brothers, so it's going to be a quality film. But like the opening sort of scenes were just kind of like it really sets the tone. Like you can feel like the quality and the craft. Um, in those opening scenes, that like, it just kind of gets you excited to watch the rest of the movie. Um, I, I think, yeah. like, what what real like okay, Big Lebowski. It's brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed. But like, I mean, it really is like a piece of cinema. Like, there's yeah. visual motifs, the 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 neon stars outside of the bowling alley. Um, you know, are are a big part of are in the intro, and then you know they get this incredible like 
the you know they stop the camera down when Donnie dies yeah. and all you see left are the stars and it kind of has this like you know it's a wonderful life like cosmic like you know feeling to it um and then the visual motif of of the bowling and all that stuff like that it really is like you know it it it's it yeah it, the way that they use like the the medium of cinema to tell this story is really really well done can i give my uh my favorite side character now that marty's off the table please yeah. sorry liam. for taking marty liam liam no. liam is the best it's good to have He's marty liam off again. the table cuz he is so cuz he is so funny but Ma- liam like just cuz at first i thought of jesus but then it's like he just he has to have a partner right and he's just he's just a guy in a matching polo shirt who sits behind the thing. Like all he does is like throw the thumbs up when he hits the strike. Because then the Jesus is like, "Me and Liam, we're gonna fuck you up." Me and Liam, man. <laughs> like, I, yeah, he's just kind of there, like on the side in the polo, the purple polo. Yeah, they have such an incredible ability, I think, through side characters uh, to just elevate like everything that they're shooting. Right. So, like in any other movie, right, in any other hands. Jesus's bowling partner, you would not even notice, right? Because because John Turturro mm-hmm. clearly is just taking up so much of the screen. But I, like in talking to other people about this movie, people always cite Liam. Um, I'm not the only oh. member of my family. I've written... never thought about him really? at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean like I like I love the part where the guy gives the thumbs up. Oh, but man. like yeah. I've never, I, I didn't know he had a name. <laughs> <laughs> They're both polishing their bowling balls at the same time that is yeah, yeah that great piece of choreography <laughs> uh my my brother uh also wrote a paper about the big Lebowski in college <laughs> um thanks uh mom and dad for helping put us through college uh yeah and he he I, I i'm gonna screw it up so i'm gonna have to go go back to him and find out but he uh he wrote about some of the religious the religious undertones of the film and, and particularly around catholicism because you have sort of jesus right literally the guy's name is jesus mm-hmm. and uh and and Liam there is representing these kind of two different versions of Catholicism. I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not even going to go any further than that. But you know, I'm going to tee it up that way. Um, yeah. Any other any other any other side performances that st- stood out to you guys? I mean, it doesn't really feel like a side performance. This is he's he's got a you know I think his name is in the opening credits. But I just want to say Philip Seymour Hoffman as the as the as butler. Brand? Yes as Brant is just, I, he, it doesn't matter how many times I watch the movie. Like, I'm gonna laugh. I'm gonna laugh when he says, it's her life is in your hands, dude. Like, and just like <laughs> the way he's sitting next to the, the big Lebowski in the limousine. Like, it's, it's just like, oh. he's so funny. I, yeah. And, and, oh, and the way that he, like when, when the big Lebowski is like, you know, really upset over bunny being kidnapped, like, He's always like bowing his head and like, you know, closing the doors and bowing his head. It's a it's a perfect performance. I was going to say, I'm glad you mentioned it because I think it's one of the great film performances of the 20th century. I mean, it like the the way that he when he gives him the ransom note and it's so little or it's such a small little thing, but he gives him the ransom note and then goes and stands next to the real Lebowski and sort of like you could just see his hand, but it's his hand is in such a locked position next to him. It's like he's. <laughs> a statue it's yeah brant is just one of the best i mean the the entire i think one of my favorite scenes is definitely the dialogue between brant and the dude as as he arrives at the uh at the estate uh yeah the little lebowski urban <laughs> achievers 
Uh. <laughs> I also love uh, that scene where, I mean, like when he meets Bunny and she goes, uh, Brant can't watch, otherwise he has to pay 100. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the only acknowledgement of his humanity at all. Because yeah, in that, he's just kind so of true. this, like, cause, and he just says, ha, I think he says marvelous. <laughs> yeah, he goes, that's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Jackie Treehorn is again one of the great, one of the great just in and in and out. Kind of an alter ego for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So my yeah. So uh, on my my gamer tag, uh, as nerdy as that sounds. Uh, but I would say though that Ben Gazzara is another part, uh, another key part of one of my favorite films, Roadhouse. He is the evil, uh, he's the villain in Roadhouse who wants to build the shopping mall. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes back to Roadhouse. (laughs) Oh, everything comes back to Roadhouse. Yeah, he's he basically is kind of playing a very similar character. Uh, He gets to wear like, you know, a flowing linen suit in both films. Um, Yeah, there's less taxidermied animals in his house. Yeah, many way fewer taxidermied animals in this one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But another one of my favorite ones. And then uh, I I mean, Smokey is so good. Smokey is again in and out in just that one scene, (laughs) but such an integral role. The voicemail he leaves. Yeah, that that's that's an, a, a very iconic scene where Walter pull, put the piece away, man. They're yeah. calling the cops. <laughs> I did not know that. It's, you talk about the other like recognition where Walter realizes he may have crossed the line. He's got emotional issues. <laughs> I did not know that. He's fragile, man. <laughs> I do love one thing about the. I do love like the use of voicemail. Like uh, again, talking about like '90s movies, yeah. like the use of the phone and voicemail is such like a key technology like technological aspect of like how you communicate with people leaving messages when um the thugs come in again they break the machine um there's the dude doing his like sort of taekwondo forms or whatever while the machine is playing and like (laughs) i don't know that's such a it's such a fun like i guess it kind of ties to the noir element of it because like they're always trying to get in contact with the detective a little bit seeking out Mm -hmm. this person um but yeah i just i love the the use of voicemail it's, th- that does remind me of a, of another side character that I would like to shout out, which is the cop who is interviewing the dude. Uh, and he's like, well, I guess we can close the case on that one when, <laughs> right, yeah. when Maude calls. <laughs> At first, I thought that was Conan O'Brien. It looks, it looks just like, looks a lot like him. It looks so much like It's him. pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, also, the, uh, the, the cop who, who identifies the car. Oh yeah, they got us working overtime yeah. on this case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they got, got us working crime lab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got us. Oh hey, your, your credence tapes are there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, good thing they didn't take the tape deck and the credence. <laughs> uh, I also love Larry, Larry Sellers, the high schooler, who they just oh, yeah. He says, hate. Oh yeah, I love that. Like he's clearly not tied to this crime at all, but for the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. Walter and the dude both are just like, yeah, you might want to check out Larry Sellers. This just shitty little high schooler. <laughs> Real fucking brat. Like, yeah. Dude, that is, you know what? That could very well be the who killed the chauffeur of this movie is did Larry steal the car or not? Like, yeah, right. You never find well, you out. Know, you never really there find is, out. I mean, how did the homework get in the car? But there is a, there's an element of a lot of these confrontational scenes where they go in with some sort of upper hand mm. and like, and and Walter ruins it to- completely. Like they go into this scene with sort of this this sort of smoking gun, which is like the the homework 
you know, I love that and they, they don't even really start to ask him. They just start yelling at him. And then he's like, this kid's fucking stonewalling me. Yeah. And he goes outside <laughs> and starts destroying the car. And like he, they lose, they lose whatever high ground they have. I, I was going to say this earlier when you talk about the meaning and, and like things just kind of end up being nothing. Like when, uh, so they go to, they go to the, the big Lebowski's house and they see the car and it's like leading up to this one confrontation at the end. And even the sort of moral high ground they have, Walter annihilates by being like, I know this guy can stand up. And he like picks him up and drops him on the floor. And like even you you think that like there's like a noir element of the detective kind of being like, uh, I saw what I saw. And now I'm disgusted with this world and this life. Like I, I feel like oh. I should be able to come up with a more specific example. But that feels forget like it, Jake. It it's Chinatown. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah. like there's no morality to stand on at the end because like he's so tied to Walter that he can't yeah. pretend like he's above everything because like, he just did this horrible thing in this guy's house. Yeah. <laughs> um, with, mentioning that scene with the, with Larry though too, I want to say I, that's one of my favorite parts of the like one of my favorite quotes is that you see what happens, Larry. You see what happens when you fuck a person, fuck a stranger in the ass, and like. Uh, so when the Coen brothers had to um, like clean up the movie for cable, uh, they were like, you, we can either bleep all the swear words or you can dub them with something else. And they were like, oh, great. We'll dub them with something else. And they got really <laughs> creative with it. Uh uh, this particular scene, I think John Goodman just like goes through a string of different things. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. This is what happens when you feed a soldier scrambled eggs. Uh, there's the redubbing of this movie is particularly uh, it, it's its own. It it only adds to uh, I... the greatness of the film. I have a, 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 a another movie that did this, and maybe I've told you guys about this personally, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this, this particular movie on this podcast, but Shape of Water, okay? It wasn't going to uh, come up for me, personally. I don't but. think... Yeah. <laughs> You've never seen The Shape of Water? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I watched it on a plane, and... Uh, it's a good plane they, movie. It, like, it was a good plane movie. They yeah, cut out, apparently, movie. there's there's a sex scene, which I haven't seen still, Right. It wasn't just people made a big deal about that, but I don't remember it being it's kind of a poetically sexy. But anyways, go it's ahead. between it's between the and, creature and Michael Shannon, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK, but speaking of Michael Shannon, it gets to like the, the crux of the movie, like the most the highest part of the tension in the movie. And like there has been no redubbing in the movie and Mike cuts to Michael Shannon and he says, I'm going to get the mustard suckers. And <laughs> I. It totally like popped the balloon of the tension in that movie for me. Like I could never get over it. Yeah. I'm going to get the mustard suckers. Yeah. <laughs> that also just seems like something Michael Shannon would say anyway. Right. Like it's like, it could kind of go either way. He's such a yeah. weird dude. <laughs> uh, yeah. It kind of, in a way it kind of ruined the movie. Yeah, it was very I funny, but it kind of ruined the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it, uh, maybe as we kind of start to wrap up, when you find this stranger in the Alps. Sorry. As we start to wrap up this side character conversation, and in, in that, in that, I don't mean to keep citing this interview, but there was a really interesting point where they ask, you know, the Coens, like, clearly you have a vision for your your actors, and you they have to kind of stick to their lines. But how do you still get them so much out of your actors? Because I, I personally think that they're 
maybe second to none in terms of what they can get out of, again, these side characters. Uh, and, and Joel Cohen just said, we, we just, you always have to make them look good. Like in some way you have to make the actors look good. And so they're just able to give them this type of material where they're able to just show up and, and, and just be incredible. Like, and maybe that's because they are able to just write out these lines. I think too, like they do just like, actually, they actually make people look good. I mean, I love, I mean, I love the way everyone looks in this movie. I mean, the way John Goodman looks in this movie. It's perfect. Is so unique and yeah. like it's just like holy like look at john goodman <laughs> yeah. like his flat top haircut and his crazy sunglasses and like it, it's it, yeah it, that's that's interesting i like that and i mean and, and i just think of other you know other movies where they get you know uh what the anton shakur in uh in no country for old men with his crazy um his crazy haircut uh <laughs> they're very very good at that we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of making characters look good, I one thing that we want to do with these podcasts is award some dundies. Um, a tie to our uh, other show, Michael Scott Podcast Company. You can check that out if you haven't. Um, but we want to give some dundee awards for uh, different characters, different things in this movie. So question to you guys. Do you have dundies for The Big Lebowski? Uh, I do. I have two. Uh, but I'll, my first one uh, is... Uh, this is my Dundee for most brilliant insult in the movie, mm. which is the dude calls the Big Lebowski a human paraquat. <laughs> um, upon first listen, I thought this was like a made up. I mean, it sounds like the dude making up a word or something. Uh, or, you know, it, like obviously the Big Lebowski is like paraplegic. Like I, I, I didn't know what what this was, but. It is such a brilliant insult because paraquat is an herbicide used by the government to destroy marijuana fields. And it actually ended up killing a lot of people. Oh, jeez! And it is there's something particularly like, you know, I mean, it's it's the perfect insult for the big Lebowski. He's like this, like, you know, like he, he anyways i mean it, it was it was kind of like such a and it's such a throwaway like it it's yeah. almost like they're talking over it when he says it um but really really interesting <laughs> like a well researched uh insult that's great i we didn't we didn't really talk about quotes cuz i part of my concern with this with this podcast was if this just turned into us quoting i don't think i've I, i've had whole conversations with people where we haven't 
left the <laughs> script of the Big Lebowski, like productive conversations where we've gotten things done, uh, basically only speaking in Big Lebowski dialogue. Uh, I, I did want to just ask really quick, it, Sean, did you have any other lines from this viewing um, that, that stuck out to you? Uh, my, mine was, she's not my special lady. She's my fucking lady friend. It's just such a good. <laughs> uh, I, I, one that comes to mind always is I had a boss one time who like, we were like texting, you know, about things that we needed to get done. And he just like texted me, you know, we were talking about picking something up or, or dropping something off. And he was like, he just texted the whites. And I was like, what? He was like, have you not seen The Big Lebowski? And I was like, no, I've seen The Big Lebowski. What is that? He's like, Walter, his dirty laundry, the whites. The whites, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That one did not stand out to me. <laughs> that was one of my favorite quotes, I thought, was just the way that he described his, he's like, what is it? Dirty undies, the whites. The whites. Yeah. The whites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've, got a, I've got a Dundee to award if we want to kind of do this Rod Robin style. Yeah. Um, yeah, keep it going. So this is this is my more serious one. Uh, I've got two as well. Uh, so you guys both know very well that my, my favorite part of award season is the Screen Actors Guild Awards um, in the calendar, mm-hmm. February 24th this year. Uh, I'm just kidding. And okay. <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't know that <laughs> one, one of the, but they do, they do one award that I think is awesome every year, which is best ensemble cast in a movie. Mm, that's mm. cool. Um, that is cool. So I want to retcon a little bit and give the best ensemble cast for 1998 to the big Lebowski. Uh, the Coen brothers have only won that award one time for no country for old men. When it kind of swept all the awards that year, but mm. Listen to this lineup. So the full Monty won. Uh, the nominees were Boogie Nights, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and Titanic. Um, so I think I think the Big Lebowski certainly. I I, I think for me it would probably be, yeah. be between Boogie Nights and Big Lebowski, but I, I think the Big Lebowski mm-hmm. takes that one. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I like that. that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, I can go. Uh, uh, I can go next with my Dundee for uh, best uh, Spanish language music cover, which goes to the Gypsy Kings for Hotel California. Oh, good! <laughs> I absolutely so loved well it. Used. I mean, I love the. I really like the Gypsy Kings, and uh, Hotel California has such a funny little uh, spot for me because I remember um, we, you know, I went on a cruise with my family, and there's like a Filipino cover band, and like listening to them sing Hotel California with uh, Filipino accents is always very funny. I'm half Filipino, so it. Uh, it was very, very clear to me, uh, but it was very funny to hear the Spanish language cover as well. So I was like, oh, man, another cover of Hotel California. <laughs> but like, I love the, the guitar. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> it's so well done. Interesting, too, that it's an Eagles song and and the dude hate later the fucking is Eagles. like, yeah, the thing rames is the driver, right? <laughs> Talking of side characters and listening yeah. to Peaceful, Easy Feeling. <laughs> <laughs> All the all the drivers in this movie are so good too. There's the guy who's yeah, I got a rash, man. <laughs> yeah, I got a rash. That's right. Um, I have I have one more Dundee to award, which is um, the, the Dundee for taking it too far. Mm. And I have to award that to John Turturro, who made another movie. Oh, I was wondering if we were going to touch on this. I was scared. I think we I have about to. This. I think we have. Oh, we man. have to. 
which is the Jesus Rolls, yeah. which came out in 2019. Yeah. 2019. <laughs> the Coen Brothers. Yeah, 2019. The, the Coen Brothers, uh, he... I, I, it's worth mentioning here that like John Turturro came up with a lot of the extra little bits about the Jesus. I think it, it was his idea for the purple suit. It was his idea to lick the bowling ball. <laughs> he, he just did that little dance after he hits the strike, <laughs> which is so good. And just so amazing in slow motion, especially with his, kind of like do rag thing like <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so good and then he just took it too far and he made a whole movie about this character that um even from the trailer looks uh a little bland and it was it was panned yeah and nobody talks about it so uh the, yeah. yeah the coen brothers just kind of granted him permission to do that and and didn't really have anything to do with it and it's also kind of a star-studded cast really uh, John Goodman. Let, let's see. Jo- uh, well, no. Uh, John Turturro, obviously. Uh, Audrey Tato, um, Bobby Cannavale. Wow. Susan wow. Sarandon, John Hamm, Christopher Walken, and what? Pete Davidson. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it doesn't sound like a bad movie when, no. like you know, when you put it like that. But it it looks uh, it looks bad, and, and everyone nobody seems to have anything good to say. Is about it just stuff. the exact plot of the Big Lebowski, but with the Jesus and other characters in different roles? It, uh, Pete <laughs> Davidson next time on Captain Audience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, you guys haven't seen Jesus <laughs> Rolls, the 2019 follow up. <laughs> um. Okay, I've got. Uh, I've got a, another Dundee. This is my last one. Go Dundee for, for most enviable wardrobe goes to the dude. Uh, I, because this film is such a cultural touchstone, I think it's kind of been overdone. You know, obviously the dude's sweater is such a thing now made by, by a company local to us, Pendleton. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's so many other parts of his wardrobe that are so good, including his jellies, of course. Uh, my my own yeah. almost four year old daughter has a pair of jellies that she loves. Um, <laughs> but some some of the deep cuts, uh, I really like the flower pants that he wears. I think those are just mm, awesome. Yeah, the yeah, the blue and that. red flower pants. Um, the one that stuck out to me I had not noticed was the Medina sod uh, bowling shirt he's wearing during the eulogy. He briefly uh, turns yeah, so... and it says Medina Sod on the back. Uh, and of course, you can buy yeah. that online. Yeah, John. <laughs> I, I was going to say that that was something that I did notice this this rewatch because I, I and I, the, I, ha- I haven't read this anywhere or haven't heard anyone else say this, so I don't know. But I think I, I felt like the, he's where I feel like that's Donnie's shirt. Because Donnie oh. is wearing bowling shirts the entire movie, and hmm. none of them have his name on them. So, like, yeah, you're right. Donnie's got all these thrifted bowling shirts, and we haven't seen the dude wear anything like that the entire movie. So, all of a sudden, him being in a bowling shirt, I thought he was just wearing interesting. One of Donnie's. That's interesting. That's fucking interesting. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then I was also going to shout out as well his, and I know I'm going to butcher this name, his Kaoru Beto uh, Japanese baseball shirt uh, that he wears when he meets with <laughs> the, uh, the the real Lebowski yes. in the wing he, in his um, 
is discussing the terms of the kidnapping. He's wearing this amazing uh, baseball kind of three-quarter sleeve shirt that features a Japanese baseball player who played for the Osaka Tigers for two years and was born in 1920. Like where in God's name did Jeff Bridges get this shirt? But of course, that one you can also buy online now as well. He's worn it in two other movies. Really? Yeah, I I don't now I don't have it in front of me, but um, yes, Jesus rolls. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) he wore it in the old man that 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 FX series where he's an assassin (laughs) came out two years ago. Well, I can give one more Dundee just to, and this would be probably the last one I have, which is um, best nickname for a beer, which is the dude who calls them oat sodas. Oh yeah, Yeah. movie nice. Two He's like Gary, sodas. two oat sodas, and, I, and for a second I thought, <laughs> "Is that are there really such is a thing like a as root an oat beer? soda?" What is that? Yeah. And then it's just it's just a Miller Genuine Draft. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of Miller in this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of Miller Lights, mm-hmm. a lot of MGDs. Well, um, what, what kind of final thoughts about the movie, Edwin? Is this one of your new favorite films? Uh. I wouldn't say it's, I, I mean, it's a movie that like to get emotional impact or, or sorry, connection, the familiarity, the loving this movie, I think will come with time for sure. I, I can see myself really having a soft spot for this movie. Um, I did really enjoy it. And it's such a good like hangout movie, like a movie I could see myself picking up and finishing at any point if it were on TV. Like it doesn't, you know, become my favorite movie or anything, but I can certainly see why, I mean, why people love it, why our friends love it. Um, it's so quotable. It's so funny. And uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, I, I do really love kind of hangout movies like this. Um, mm. And, uh, or maybe that's the wrong way to use that phrase, but it does feel like you're kind of hanging out with the dude and Walter for a lot of this movie. But yeah, I think, I think that is a good way to describe it, especially with like, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's almost as if the plot is secondary. It, it really does feel like it's he's just such a fun character. And you love you kind of love him just as much as all these other people in the movie love him, <laughs> like his landlord and and uh, and uh, the cowboy, the stranger. Um, it, it really is. Uh, it, it does feel like a hangout movie to me. I would agree with that. And yeah, I think I think I. I took us pretty deep into into some of the themes of this movie without directly acknowledging at the top that this is at the end of the day just a hangout comedy like and i think that's mm-hmm. what makes this movie so great for me at least is that you it's kind of dual purpose you can just kind of hang out throw it on have it on in the background and everyone kind of loves popping in and out and watching a few scenes uh but for me the thing that that will always stand out to the big lebowski is that it it does try to do so much and it can be as deep as you want it to be in a lot of ways um but outside of that, it's just hilarious. It's just such a it's such a good comedy. Like I think it is just it's such for all the physical gags, for the side characters, for the quotes. It's it's just such a good comedy. But it can just go so deep as well. Um, Edwin, I, I I meant to mention this earlier, but you had the experience of watching this for the first time. Uh, <laughs> I assume you know on your on your television or whatever. Uh, friend of the podcast, Danny Moodhart, who we um who I was uh, roommates with at one point had never seen this movie and he was brought to see it at a theater that was actually hosting a big Lebowski night. So he walked in and everyone was dressed like the dude. They were serving white Russians and (laughs) quoting the movie while they were watching it. 
Ed said it was just nice. a terrible first viewing experience because he couldn't actually hear any of the movie. <laughs> and it was just, you didn't really know what was going on. Uh, so there, there are actually bad ways, I think, to view this movie. So um, just wanted to put that out there. And apologies if that wasn't Danny. I might have gotten that wrong. Yeah, there, there is the, the cult following behind this movie. I mean, we didn't even mention the, chur- mention the Church of Dudism, mm-hmm. which is... <laughs> they're <laughs> they're proudly the slowest growing religion in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad we 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 finally got to make Edwin watch this movie um, because it is a classic and uh, one that's really really fun to talk about and theorize about, um, and uh, but also just very very fun to quote and. Uh, and and laugh at i guess uh one thing that we've done with these other movies is we've given ratings um often with different systems so Mm. um they can either be who knows if this will continue but you can give a ranking out of 10 you can give a number of stars you can give some thumbs up um (laughs) yeah whatever makes sense we're not we're not too far along into this podcast, so I'll, uh, like I've been doing the stars. I gave I gave Love Actually okay. one star. I gave Great. Terminator. Oh, I hate Love Actually. <laughs> I texted all, all of you right afterward. I hate that yes. movie. Absolutely despise I, I, that movie. It sucks. It I has would a bad de- message. It's terrible. It's but I I would define like a one star review as like so bad you almost should watch it. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, I love actually, and so then I guess it's ter- one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Terminator, I, I, f- f- I think I, I said four stars, thought that was very, very fun. Uh, four out of five, Roger Rabbit, four out of five. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, Roger Rabbit for me was a five star movie, it, you know, cause I, it, I, that one was one that I brought big Lebowski's five star movie for me. This, uh, mm. this is, uh, it's a kind of a, a perfect movie. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, it's it's so good that you have to see it. I, I would agree. Uh, it's a five star movie for me, um, but I'll I'll go ahead and give it five white Russians out of out of five, uh, <laughs> or five roaches out of five. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, to me it's it, it is it's 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 even for all its faults, right? Movies can be movies can have faults and still be five star movies. That, at least in my in my reviews. Uh, just because a movie is a five star doesn't mean it's faultless. And and to me, this is a movie that I think does have some faults. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's an imperfectly executed, um, perfect film. I feel like I would give it, and I'm not I'm not trying to be. A, I would give it like a four and a half. Like mm-hmm. I didn't uh, just because when I finished it, I was kind of like, oh, that was it. Um, yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And I could see this movie becoming a five-star movie for me with even just like one more rewatching, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Because like when I think of movies like A Brother Where Art Thou or other movies like this where you develop this sort of connection and familiarity and like love of the movie, I think uh, maybe I'm not where you guys are yet, but I think I will get there, you know? You'll get there. You'll get there. You'll learn, baby. You'll learn. <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. that's – I think it's also – yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. I You know, I – most people I think would not rank this as a perfect movie. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> like that's, I think yeah. so. Let's ground ourselves there. And, uh, and also say too, I think it's funny how much love there is for Oh Brother Where Art Thou in this, in this room. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's also not a universally yes. loved movie. And, and this group, I think uh. in particular does love that film. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much to uh, Peter yeah. for being here in in Alex's absence. I think Peter, you are we've all been friends for a very very long time, and you were kind of the perfect person to step in for this, as uh, as you were a member of the Rip Citizens, the podcast <laughs> before <laughs> our Michael Scott Podcast Company podcast. Um, and and I will uh, remind you. Uh, founding editor of the Q Review in college, the Netflix ah, uh, review right. blog that yes. we, that you both contributed to at one point. Um, that so, in a way that was kind of a a very very early onset yeah. catalyst for this podcast. Yeah, we were we we started a blog reviewing movies uh, that were available to stream on Netflix called the Q Review. I remember and our friend when streaming. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, I remember when our friend Chris kind of broke our business model when he asked me at one point, point blank, he goes, what happens when it leaves Netflix? And that is something that hadn't occurred to me up to that point, that movies could leave Netflix. <laughs> well, it's funny because Netflix streaming was such a, it was like a relatively new thing. It only been around Super for a couple of years. And I remember yeah. when it had started, it was like nothing good was on there. <laughs> like it was like combing through all the stuff you'd never heard of and like trying to decide if anything was worth your time. I um, told my dad to yeah, not buy Netflix that. stock uh, when they debuted streaming. I was like, this won't last. <laughs> he still brings it up. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been millionaires. The other funny thing about the Q review is like, this is so, speak, we were students of our time. Um, where we were so excited about it for a few weeks. And then I think all of us just stopped at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like no reason. Yeah. yeah. I'm still putting mm -hmm. reviews on there. Have you guys stopped? <laughs> I tried to find it recently. I don't. Your think latest it, one I is uh, "Don't Leave the World Behind." Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this new thriller. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no. This, but no. This hey, has been an absolute pleasure, yeah, guys. I, I, of course, I am. I am always happy to come on uh, if you'll have me again. Uh, I love nothing more than talking about movies, and especially with doing it with my friends. So, uh, yeah, this has been an absolute joy. I, when Sean asked me called me i was at the gym yesterday and asked me if i would do this i said sean you just kind of threw a a 40 mile an hour pitch down center uh for my first, first <laughs> on yeah i can talk about big lebowski that's that'll be just yeah <laughs> yeah well, hey, uh, yeah it was great to have you man great to be on the mic with you once again um yeah. and great to talk about this movie with you it it also is great because like this this shortcuts me needing to talk to you about this movie now that I've actually seen it. You I know, know. Um, I know. Given that I'm so far away, that like it, it's nice that we could talk about this movie in real time while we're podcasting. So yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I, I'm going to scour my letterbox and 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 maybe take a look at Sean's I, Edward. I don't know if you're on there and see what other opportunities you might have to yeah. do this again. Because um, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Peter, you want to shout out what your uh, your letterbox? Oh. Account is? Uh, Sure. You can all <laughs> yell at me for my one and a half star ranking of poor things if you want. Um, <laughs> oh, well, uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I hate yours. Uh, I don't even know what mine is. I think it's, it might be, oh, it's just Peter Owen. Peter Owen, all one uh, word. Um, and I'm just yeah. looking and I, I I forgot my profile picture is Brad Pitt uh, in Burn After Reading. So there's another Cohen Brothers <laughs> shout out for you all right before he gets, well, uh, I won't spoil it, but. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Sean underscore Macaroni on Letterboxd. Check me out. You can also email us at captiveaudiencepod at gmail.com if you want to give us some suggestions for some movies that we can watch in the future. Um, would love to hear from you. Um, I, I don't believe we've figured out what our next movie is. So go ahead and, and shoot us some emails. Remind us of some some great films that perhaps some of us haven't seen. Um, in the meantime, 
yeah. if you like the show, you've gotten this far, please uh, give us a rating or review. It helps us, helps people find the show. Um, we always love to hear from everyone. So social and things like that needs to still come alive uh, a little bit. But in the meantime, please, please, please drop us an email. If you're a fan of MSPC, let us know on the Discord what you think, what we should be doing next. Um, but more important than that, just thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us, spending some time while we uh, talk about this movie, some of our favorite movies, and we hope you'll join us again. Uh, thanks again, Peter. And yeah, take her easy. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.